You're listening to Over the Top Cycling, Boulder, Colorado. I'm George Thomas on the line with Stephen Burvling, who's joining us from Sydney, Australia, and Jim Williams, who is out uh, training in Trexler Town. Thanks for joining us, guys. G'day. Thank you My pleasure. Having Thank us. you, George. Now, Stephen, this is a pretty monumental day for you. Um, yes, it's this week that it's the 20th anniversary of me having been diagnosed and contracting HIV. Um, and it means that I've got 20 years of life, which has been very fantastic, and I'm very much looking forward to 20, well, a lot more than 20 years again. Uh, so it's great. And I believe Thanks. when you got your diagnosis, you were given two days to live and had an appointment uh, made for your body in the morgue. I did, and um, it, it, I was very, very seriously ill um, when I contracted HIV. I learned I had... They gave me two days to live, an appointment in the morgue. And I very much remember the three thoughts that came through my mind, which was, one, I am not going to the morgue. Two was, but what if I do die? I've not heard of anybody complaining about being dead. And the third one was, Stephen, watch it. You're at the fork of the road. You'd better make the right decision. And I'm pretty certain that I've managed to make the right decision. Thank you. <laughs> Jim Williams, this is 10 years for you, correct, that you got your diagnosis? It's 10 years since I've been diagnosed. Um, it was quite a different situation when I was diagnosed. It wasn't the death sentence that it was uh, like it was when Stephen was diagnosed. Um, but there have been you know, issues with it. Um, I, uh, I definitely never had to make an appointment, uh, with the morgue, but, um, I, you know, through, uh, stress and some other things and a collapse of my viral, you know, my immune system, I progressed to full-blown AIDS two years ago, which is now just clinical AIDS when my lungs collapsed, uh, when I was working in New York. Um, so, um, but it's been, you know, it's been an up and down road, but mostly, mostly up. And I can't complain about that. Now, obviously, then there were changes in the 10 years that Stephen had on you. Uh, and then over the 10 years since, does the public really know that much about HIV and AIDS? Or are we still really stuck in the 80s? Oh, I don't think we're stuck in the 80s at all. Maybe Stephen and I might disagree about that. Um, I think that. But you know what? I, I'll say this, George. You know, we live in a bubble, um, and you know, and I've lived in New York for 20 years before I moved to Boulder, and I don't really consider either of those two locations the United States. Um, there are they're full of you know well-educated, highly intelligent, very accepting people who you know know what's going on, um, but. But I'll say this, that that's not the case for a lot of the United States. Stephen? And I would suggest that that's not the case for the very, very large proportion of the world. Because generally, let's be really blunt about it, um, the concept of HIV and AIDS is linked with sex and with death. And we as societies do not communicate very well about sex or about death. So immediately, the discussion has been sort of kept under under cover, and that's been very it, hard to to get out. 
in, in addition, yeah. you have to you also have to point out that it's also linked with homosexuality, um, and yeah. that's another thing that slips, sweeps it under the rug. However, most of the new infections in the United States are not among gay individuals. They are among the twenty-something heterosexuals now, uh, mm-hmm. and um, there's been a lot of data and a lot of studies on that. You know, and, and the gay community did a lot of education. Um, you know, years and years ago, and got the word out, and the infection slowed and actually you know, slowed hugely in the gay community, but they greatly increased in the heterosexual community. Now that people equate it to diabetes, it's increasing everywhere. So, yeah, yeah, uh, and and we're finding that as well that it's it's, it's moving out of the gay community gen- much more generally into the um, what complete community. And the complete community doesn't have the resources to be reminded about getting themselves tested to ensure that they can get on treatment as soon as practicable. Now, I'm thinking of some changes. I mean, Stephen, you weren't even allowed into the U.S. for a while. Isn't that correct? Uh, It was not until (laughs) that legally. Well, legally, and I wouldn't go um, illegally. Um, until on the 4th of January 2011, President Obama managed to sign the uh, list of restrictions. Now, I, in, in fairness, both Presidents Bush and Clinton had tried to do that as well, but didn't have the numbers. You also needed a legislative change. But it wasn't until 2011 that I could get into the US lawfully. Um, there are still a number of countries worldwide where... HIV positive people are not allowed into. Now, what about insurance? I mean, Jim, can you get health insurance, life insurance? Uh, life insurance, absolutely not. Um, I have disability insurance only because I got it 25 years ago. Um, if I were to work at a corporation that offered its employees health insurance, then yes, I could get health insurance through that. Um, but there's no... But but right now, um, you know, I'm not working, um, and um, the only way I could get insurance was to go on to Colorado Medicaid, um, and you know, that's the only and the, really the only thing that I'm you know worried about um, from an insurance standpoint are my medications. You know, my medications run about if I had to pay retail between five and six thousand dollars a month. Um, and there's just no way I could afford that and, and live, you know, you know, it's, you know, guns or butter, you know, food or drugs, um, or medications. I don't want to say drugs because that has a negative connotation. Um, but, you know, but, but for that, you know, I, you know, it's, it would be tough. And there are a lot of people out there who don't have access to the, the types of, you know, like what we have in Colorado, the Colorado Medicaid and have to rely on, um, programs like ADAP, which is AIDS Drug Assistance Program, which most states have, but for quite a long time, there was a waiting list to get on that because they're only funded to a certain amount of dollars, and so if they've got more people looking to get the drugs and they have money to support it, there's a waiting list. And so really the only way you got on an ADAP 10 years ago was in a lot of states was if somebody died and gave, you know, and left an opening. Um, so, but still, a lot of people reply, rely on ADAP and mm-hmm. services that are provided for aid, by aid service organizations, such as 
you know, um, the L.A. Gay and Lesbian Center and the AIDS uh, and the San Francisco um, AIDS Foundation, which are both great facilities that offer a lot of services and health care and medications to people living with HIV and AIDS. Now, Stephen, how about you in Australia? Are you allowed to get health insurance, life insurance? Well, let, let me firstly, without wanting for one moment to enter into the debate about healthcare in the United States, I yeah, no, must no, no. admit that I'm <laughs> no. Uh, in, in, in Australia, we're extremely fortunate that all the state governments recognise the value of getting people with HIV onto medication as soon as possible. So the state governments actually encourage testing and provide the medication for free because they know that if we can get people on the medication, then their viral load will become undetectable. A, they become healthy members of society, and B, more importantly, they cannot transmit the virus to other people. So it's, it's really advantageous. So um, leave that bit aside from healthcare. With respect to um, life insurance, I have been able to get life insurance in 2014, despite the fact that I have had HIV since 1996. Sure, I pay a premium beyond a you know, totally healthy person. I understand that the premium I pay is 150% of what a normal healthy person would pay. I also understand that people with diabetics pay 200% and people who smoke pay 300%. And that really puts into perspective what the insurance companies believe with respect to HIV and the chances of me continuing to live. Now, why would it, life insurance be more accepting in Australia than in the United States, Jim? Well, our life insurance companies are for-profit businesses, um, and, you know, you can't make money if you're, you know, if you're paying people, if you're paying benefits out. So that's the big yeah. difference is our, our insurance is for profit, just like our healthcare is for profit. Yeah. Well, 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 Australia has a socialized medicine. And, and Stephen touched on yeah. something that's really key here is that if you have a, there's been two Swedish studies that I know of, and maybe even more that, you know, that have proven that if you don't have, if your viral load is undetectable, then you cannot transmit the virus. And that's why getting tested early and finding out that you have the virus and getting on the medications in order to get your viral load undetectable is so key. And that's, you know, that's the really, you know, the, the big struggle is getting people, you know, to, to get tested and because people are afraid to get tested, you know, it's, it's mm. scary. Um, you know, mm. it's a very, it's a life changing event, but you know, the sooner you get tested and the sooner you find out your status, you know, and the sooner you get on medications, if you're, if you're positive, the better off you'll be, you know, get tested. You know, if you're negative, do everything in your power to stay negative. If you're positive, go to your doctor and get on medications ASAP. Now, you said it's scary. What's the stigma like still with HIV? Is there still one there? And what about AIDS? Oh, yeah. It's huge. Oh, yeah. It's yeah, huge. and you, you put the, you, and the difference between the H word and the A word is enormous. That's I absolutely, be. I cringe when I have to, you know, you know, the difference between even having clinical AIDS, you know, much less you know, functional. I have clinical AIDS. You know, once you have it, 
your diagnosis will never change, even though my viral load is now undetectable. I will always be, quote unquote, diagnosed with AIDS since it went from HIV to AIDS a couple of years ago. Yeah, but yeah, the, yeah. you know, just, it's, it's, even, even internally, even me, I hate it, you know, and if I hate it, I can imagine how other people feel, but yeah, the, the difference of how you're treated is, you know, it might as well be, be a big scarlet A, you know, on, you know, on your chest, you know, mm-hmm. so. Yeah. Let's come back to 2011 in Oceanside at the, at the meeting on the night, the day before the race, when we had all the teams of Ram racers and all their crew in that hall, the basketball hall. And, you know, there's about five, 600 people there, somewhere around that number. And we were introduced and I said, hi, and here we are. And we've got three of our four racers with HIV and three and three quarters of our crew with HIV. And you could hear a pin drop in that room because people were thinking, how can these guys race their bikes across America when in theory they should be in a coffin? Uh, And it's that sort of stigma and that belief that we really need to turn around. Now, you guys are also, you guys are both attorneys. Is there a bigger stigma with being an attorney? (laughs) (laughs) We're both honest attorneys. (laughs) I don't think I'll even go there. I'm not kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the fact that you asked the question is its own answer, George. <laughs> there is with me. <laughs> um, but fundamentally, the concept, the issue about stigma is the most important concern these days. I mean, if people with HIV are on medication then they should be able to lead a normal, healthy lifestyle. My anticipated lifespan is exactly the same as any other person of my age with or without HIV. Uh, So, you know, I don't have any decrease in my life expectancy because of the fact that I have HIV because I'm on medication. But the stigma remains. And it's the stigma that we need to address for a number of reasons. One, it's there and it's not nice, but more importantly, it will reducing the stigma will increase the chances of people to get themselves tested and be on medication because we know that that's a really nice way to reduce the transmission and effectively kill off the virus. Well, um, so hey guys, I have I, I, I've got to go and get back on the track. Um, so um, I know I'm cutting it short, but I, I trust that Stephen can do a, a bang-up job in my absence, so if that's okay. Um, so my uh, the guy I'm working with has just come back. So, Well, Jim, I appreciate you joining us while you could. Yeah, yeah, Thanks, I appreciate mate. it. I'm sorry I can't talk longer. Good to talk to you both, and uh, we'll talk, we'll talk soon. soon. Thanks so much. Thanks. All right, cheers. Thank you. All right, bye-bye. Well, Stephen... Let's kind of continue with the whole stigma thing. We were talking a little bit about this before we went live. And that is, you know, I've gotten a lot of positive feedback on the podcasts that I've done with you. But I also get a number of questions saying, you know, this is a smart guy. 
how did he catch AIDS? Thanks. Thanks, George. And that's a really important question. And it's, it is an interesting statement that you make by using the word catching AIDS rather than catching a virus. Most people catch a virus constantly. We all have viruses and it's just one of those things that happens because we're human. But as soon as you, as soon as a person says, oh no, 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 this person has caught AIDS, firstly, we remove it away from the fact that it's just a virus and B, we exaggerate and increase the stigma that is attached to the word AIDS. And that's part of the problem. Um, how did I actually contract AIDS or HIV, to be perfectly frank, I do not know. And I'm happy to concede some other bits about my life in a moment. Um, I go back a step and I have a brother who has had HIV since the early 1980s, which meant that I was extremely careful about ensuring that I would avoid getting HIV um, to the point that if I were thinking about going out for an evening if I had a cut on my hand or I'd cut myself shaving, I would not go out. Simple as that. Um, but be that as it may, for some reason, I still got HIV. I have no idea how that happened. Um, I'm sufficiently realistic to accept the fact that A, I'm gay. B, I do not have a monogamous relationship. I have a tremendously supportive relationship, but we both accept that it's not monogamous. And C, we know that um, sex is associated with contracting HIV. So the chances are likely that I would have got it through sex. But then you go, if I got it through sex, when I am super careful about avoiding it, how does it happen? And I go... Maybe it just happens because I'm being human. You know, I was careful. It still happened. And the same thing happens with us cyclists. We still get crashes. We still have accidents, despite the fact that we are super careful. Um, we know of many of us who have had an accident. Well, I mean, I remember once I broke an arm when I fell at three miles per hour. You know, somebody hit my back wheel and I'll pop down I went. Um, you know, you can be really careful and really, um, but you cannot schedule these things into your diary. They just happen. Um, same thing with HIV. Having said that, you can obviously take precautions um, and I'm not suggesting abstinence. I accept that people are human. Um, condoms are really very, very useful. They're shown to work. Um, no your partner also helps. Um, and ironically, the HIV positive person on medication who is undetectable is one of the safest people to have sex with because you know what the status is and you know how undetectable he is and therefore the chances of transmission are minimal, if anything. It's quite extraordinary. And I know that that's, uh, that's a reverse logic. Uh, um, I think I've answered your question. How did I get it? I don't know. And no, I think you've totally answered matter. my question. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> which means it's time for the next question, which is... <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so you have the diagnosis. You've lived with this now for 20 years. 
and lived with it. Is it really a part of Stephen Berveling or is it, have you changed? Do you think about it every day? Is it always there? Yes, it is. And yes, it is. It, it, it's always there. Um, it's automatic that I take my medication and I take my medication at night. I take two tablets at night when, you know, when I brush my teeth, go to the bathroom, take out the contacts, take the medication. So that's just normal practical stuff. Um, but I'm acutely aware of the fact that I have HIV. Um, you know, it's not that I put a big badge on me, but I don't know. Um, I look at it and I look at the reasons why I cycle and why I race. And I know that I am driven to do the Race Across America solo, to be the first person with HIV to do that. And that's very important for me, both for stigma reasons, you know, societal ones, but also for myself, I acknowledge that I have a chip on my shoulder because of the fact that I have HIV, which I suspect I would not have that same chip if the illness were something like cancer or diabetes or leukemia or whatever, you know, because those things, those illnesses are quote unquote much more accepted by society. In my cycling club, which is Sydney Cycling Club, we have about 500 members and a large number of them know that I have HIV. Um, they did in that first instance, but the time has come more and more. And every once in a while, a person would ask the president or the committee members, how is it that Stephen can ride in our bunches with him having HIV? And invariably, the response is, well, at least we know Stephen's status and we don't know yours. And that's a very important statement. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, um, and thus we treat everybody the same. But in fact, we know that Stephen's status we already know. Um, it also had an impact on when I was um, be cycling Initially, after getting HIV, it, the HIV inhibited me from getting back on my bike because I was very concerned about whether the ambulances would help me in case I had an accident. I now know that that fear was very misguided and the ambulance and the paramedics helped me enormously. And I'm really, really glad about that. Uh, um, to wrap up, if I could indicate, the changes in treatment that have happened, especially in the last few years, where we know that if we can get people to test early and get them on medication, we know that people can lead a full and complete life and we know that the transmission can of HIV can reduce it more enormously. What those things mean leading a full and complete life is it means that people with HIV can fully participate in the sports that they want to do and it's okay to participate in sport and it's okay for the HIV positive person to be on the sports field and it's okay for the HIV negative person 
to have a person with HIV on the sports field with them. It all works together. And I'm very, very grateful for this discussion. Thank you. Well, Stephen, I'm very, very grateful that you have been with us these last 20 years, and I look forward to you having a very long and successful life. Thank you very much. Thanks, George. I look forward to talking further at any stage. Joining us from Sydney, Australia, Stephen Berveling, Over the Top Cycling Boulder, Colorado, I'm George Thomas.